Step one, Sunday one, we talked about, if you're a disciple for Jesus, if you're a believer, you need to know how to receive. You need to know how to act on the recipient quality of being God's sons or daughters. God's a giver. He has things to give you. You need to receive them. Sometimes we're like, oh, no, I don't deserve that. Or no, no, I don't want that. You guys, we're God's kids. He wants to just lavish blessings on us. We need to receive them well. We need to protect what God gives us. You can't just receive a really wealthy gift and then not take care of it, not nurture it, not protect it, or somebody will take it from you. And we have an enemy that takes all the time. You gotta protect what God has given you or the enemy might snatch it up from under your nose. We gotta remove any stumbling blocks in our life that would keep us from knowing God, um, growing in him. You got a addiction problem. You got a sin problem. You got some bad behavior. You got some gossip, some lies, whatever your thing is. We all have our things. We've got to remove those stumbling blocks. We've got to plant God's word in our hearts. That's simply and only just read this book for yourselves. At your own time, read whichever of the 66 books are in here that speaks to you. I love the Psalms. I love the Old Testament. What do you love? Read it. Plant these good words in your heart. They will bear fruit. Just by reading this book and having faith, these are God's words. I'm taking them in like food. They're going to grow in you. Stuff's going to happen in you. The fifth action of being a disciple is that you've got to build your faith by sharing with others, by using your gifts, by um, stepping out in faith and praying for strangers. You've got to act on your faith, and as you do, it builds up and gets stronger and stronger. You've got to be ready to suffer for the gospel. I mean, literally what it was talking about is like, are you ready to put your life on the line for Jesus? Because it says in the end times that's going to happen. Do you believe, yes or no? But... For us, maybe a more relatable thing, are you willing to talk about Jesus with friends and they might laugh at you, mock you, it might be uncomfortable? Are you willing to suffer for Jesus in that regard? We should be. And then, are you waiting for God? Are you watching for God? When you pray, do you give God some time to respond and answer? Because sometimes he doesn't answer right on the spot. Sometimes it takes a week or a month for his answer to arrive. So those are the seven actions of being a disciple in Jesus. And we take those from Isaiah chapter five, verses one through two. My beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. He plowed the land, he cleared its stones, he planted it with the best vines, in the middle he built a watchtower, and then he carved a wine press in the nearby rocks, and then he waited for a harvest of sweet grapes. But the grapes that grew were bitter. Four years I've been teaching on this passage once a year, and I've never taught on this final line so today is your lucky day. We're going to talk about it. God waited for a harvest of sweet grapes from his disciples. But the harvest, the grapes that grew, were bitter. What does that mean? What is God telling us? Well, the grapes that grew. So there was fruit from these people in Isaiah's day. They did put their faith in action. But the fruit, while, yeah, here's a grape, it was bitter. What does that mean? I think it means that they went through the motions of faith. They went through the motions of Christianity, but their hearts weren't in it. And so it wasn't sweet fruit. It was bitter. It was like, man, I just have to go to church. I just have to read my Bible. It wasn't done out of love. And we can do a lot of things from the, for, for the Lord, but if they're not done in the, from a place of love, from a place of like, God, I appreciate, I thank you for saving me, they are just kind of going through the motions. Um, the fruit was there, but it was bitter. 
You can't do anything with bitter grapes. You harvest and you plant and you build and you do all these things for a, a year, a season. And then you got this fruit that's bitter. You know, you, you just got to throw it away. There's nothing you can do with it. So what was the point? I want to demonstrate what it's like, what it means. Um, I want to give you a visual of the difference between sweet and bitter. Um, I need two volunteers. I need them to not have food allergies. Yes, yes. Come on up here. All right, give them a round of applause. All right, here and here. No, all the way up. You can stand into the light. All right, introduce yourselves. Don't look at me, look at them. Alex. Say, hey, Alex. Say, hey, Sean. All right, I have two vials here. They're almost identical. There's a slight difference in coloration, but they're both thick and yummy. All right, so God is saying, here's the fruit. It's supposed to be sweet, but it was bitter. Well, let's see. I want you to watch these guys, their faces, as they try something that's sweet or bitter. We don't know. It's anybody's guess. One, two. All right, take a spoonful. Let them see your face. Alex, I will help you. Nothing but water for the past week, so. Oh, this is a treat for you. Now, put it in your face, and then only express what it's like with your expression. All right, I'm really feeling it. All right. All right. Okay, all right, fair enough. Would you describe that as sweet or bitter? Sweet. What was it? Maple syrup. Maple syrup. All right. This is probably sweet too. Sure. All right. Take your time. No, 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 no. A lot. A lot. Okay. Just before you eat this, just know this is 100% safe, okay? Sure about that? I'm like 80% sure. is that? No one really knows. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I like it. I like it. Just, just take it. Don't let it drip. No, we're going back in. We're going back in. Okay. Just, just with the, yes. Yeah. All right. I only have one. You have to split it or you can fight over it. No, Alex. Hey, hey, hey. Spoon, buddy. This is my kid's ice cream spoon. All right. So, you guys, these things, these two, these two little things that I had, one is maple syrup and one is just straight molasses. They're very similar, but they are very different. Hence, John just left. He's like, I got to go wash my face. All right. Oh, that wasn't the honey? Ugh. Okay. You guys, God is saying, he's looking at you. He's looking at me this morning, and he's saying, the fruit of you putting your faith in action, is it sweet fruit? Is it fruit born of, like, devotion and love and commitment and, like, I'm depending upon God? Or is it bitter fruit that's, like, I'm just going through the motions. I'm only come to church because my parents want me to be here. Um, I'm not really into this. One is sweet, and one is bitter. It makes me think of a, a famous passage in Revelation 
This is God addressing the seven churches, right? And he's addressing the church at Laodicea. And these people, this church, they did all kinds of great things. They did all kinds of amazing things. But he is looking them in the eye. This is Jesus Christ talking to this church. It'd be like if Jesus just said, sit down, Justin, and showed up and said, this is what I have to say to you, Woods Edge. And this is what he said to the church at Laodicea, a church that did things, but they weren't all in. I know all the things that you do, church. And I know that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's a hard word. And he's saying that to an entire church of this whole city. I know that you guys are going through the motions of Christianity, but you're not all in. You're in this like comfort zone. You're settling. You're coasting in your faith. You're just kind of doing the bare minimum. And even that, not with your heart. And it makes me want to spit you out of my mouth. That's hardcore. This is Jesus, my Savior, my King, my friend. And he's saying, if I'm not all in, it's like he wants to spit me out of his mouth. Because he can't do anything with this half-hearted faith. It's like lukewarm water. I mean, if you're working in the yard all day, you don't want lukewarm water. You want a cold, ice-cold drink of water. If you're not feeling well, you don't want lukewarm water. You want this boiling cauldron of, like, tea that just gets rid of all that funk. Lukewarm no good to the Lord. Bitter grapes, he can't use them. God is wanting to do something in your generation, a great thing, a powerful thing. And he is hungry for students, for teenagers. That's who he used in his day. 12 disciples, 11 of them were your age. He wants to change the world through you guys. And what he's hungry for is selflessness, um, desperation, um, love, but what he's not hungry for, which what he can't really work with is selfishness, pride, um, this sense of like, I don't really want to go to church. I don't really want to read the, I don't want to pray for people. I know I have to, and so I will sometimes, but who wants to get married someday? Anybody have designs on getting married? Sure you do. Um, you guys, when you start looking for your spouse, and maybe you already are, do you want to marry someone that you kind of like, that you can like stand, that you can kind of put up with? Is that the person you want to spend the rest of your life with? Or do you want to marry somebody that you are crazy about, that you are head over heels over, that you can't get enough of, that makes you want to be like a better man, a better woman whenever you're around them, whenever you think of them? Well, that's the way that God looks at us. Why should we expect him to settle on somebody, me, that's like, yeah, I'll, I'll hang out with you sometimes. I'll spend a few minutes with you here or there. When what he's looking for, what he wants to use, are those of us that are like, I am all in. I, you want me to act in faith and do this? I will. I don't even know what it looks like. I'm gonna lose a little bit of my money or my reputation, but like, I'm in. That's what God is looking for. Why would you settle and the person you're going to spend your life with, why would God? God doesn't want to settle. He didn't design you to settle. He's looking for 
somebody that loves him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. He's looking for a student ministry that loves him that way too. We don't want to settle. God doesn't want to settle either. Um, you guys know, if, if you've been on social media a bit, but beginning November 27th, we're going to do a four-week series, The Gospel According to 21 Pilots. If you guys know their music, they are just saturated. Their lyrics are just dripping with biblical truth. Like, I, I listen to their songs, I invest in them, I think about them, and it is so clear that those two guys know God, love God, read his word, are people of prayer, they understand there's a spiritual battle. These guys, through their song, through their lyrics, through their creativity, it is impossible to miss, if you know who Jesus is, that these guys know Jesus. And so we're going to take one week um, for a month, four weeks, and we're going to dissect a couple of their songs and be like, what's the scriptural truth behind what they're saying here? Um, I love what these guys are doing. These young men are leading these contemporary concerts all over the world, and people are at their concerts, and they are singing their songs, and they have no idea that they are worshiping God as they proclaim truth about the Bible, Jesus, the devil, salvation. Brooke went to their concert here in the Woodlands, and I had never even heard of them before then. I'm totally late to the party. But she's sitting there, she'd never heard them before, and she's listening to their lyrics, and she's like, that song's about Jesus. That song's about salvation. That song's about faith. And there's this group over here, and they are just high as kites, singing these songs and have no idea that they are praising God. There's these people over here, drunk as skunks, like they can't even stand, but they're singing these lyrics, and they're praising God, and they have no clue. There is some awesome stuff going on underneath their lyrics, and so in November 27th and most of December, we're going to take a song a week. We're going to pick it apart. We're going to talk about the scriptural undertones. But I'll give you a sneak peek of that today. Who knows the song Polarize by the Pilots, all right? Great song. It was one of the hardest ones for me to get my mind around because I didn't really know what polarize the word meant in this sense. Um, I didn't understand the lyrics. I'm like, I know there's something going on there, but I don't understand. So I did some research. Novel idea, right? You ever read something in the Bible you didn't understand? Man, research it. I woke up at three in the morning, last, not last night, but the night before, and I'm planning for Freedom Weekend 2017 already, and I had an idea about one word in the New Testament, and it woke me up at three in the morning, and I went and I sat in front of my computer, and for two hours, from 3 a.m. to 5 a.m., I researched this one word, and I couldn't learn enough about it. There is so much in this book, and there's so much behind these guys' lyrics. And if you don't understand something, Ask for help and do some research. Well, I researched this chorus from Polarize. I want to play you guys just the audio clip of this one chorus. So, Miss Grace, light it up. I wanted to meet a brother by the bed sun. Wanted to be a better adversary to the evil I have done. I have none to show to the one I love. But tonight, tonight, tonight. All right. Put up the lyric. Yep, there they are. Okay. I love this line. This line is so intrinsic to what we are talking about. There's so much biblical truth in those words. I wanted to be a better brother, a better son, a better daughter. I wanted to be a better adversary to the evil I have done, but I have none to show to the one that I love. Deny, deny, denial. Oh. All right. Polarize. What does it mean? 
Go to the dictionary. Here's two definitions. A state in which rays of light, and we are the light of the world, make no mistake. That's who we are. That's God's identity for us. A state in which rays of light exhibit different properties. To polarize means to change the way light shines, how it works. To cause people to adopt extreme opposing positions. You guys, if you're a believer today and you weren't last year or three years ago, think about your life. Is it a polar opposite? Is it different? Does it look changed from before you were a believer? Because it should. The Bible is clear that we are supposed to live lives that are not influenced by the culture that we live in, the society we live in, the school we go to. We are supposed to influence the culture, and we can only do that if we are polarized. We were going this way, and to polarize means to change completely, so we go the other way. We're doing things differently than the rest of the world. We forgive when other people hold grudges. We stay silent when other people are gossiping. Polarize means to change. You cannot encounter Jesus with your heart and not be changed. If you are not changed as a result of putting your faith in Jesus, then change is available to you and you're just walking by. And it can change today. You can receive that change. You can start that change today by asking for help because that's all these guys do is they ask for help. The desire is there, right? I wanted to be a better brother. I wanted to be a better son. I wanted to be a better adversary to the crap that I've done in my past. He's acknowledging, I have a desire, but I have none to show to the one I love. It's like I'm trying, but it's not working. I'm giving my best effort, but I don't feel any different. Who in their life has tried to do something for the Lord and just felt like you hit a wall? You just still feel like, man, I just feel like garbage. I don't understand. Like I'm trying, but I don't feel right inside. I don't have this peace and joy that they keep talking about. Well, that's Tyler saying the same thing. I wanted to be these things. I tried to be these things, but I, you know what? At the end of the day, I have nothing to show to the one that I love. So what's he do? Well, he does the only thing that he can do. He says to the Lord, help me. Help me polarize. Help me change. Help me be different. Help me take my meager effort and multiply it and do something supernatural. You know in the Bible when God repeats himself, it's because he wants you to pay attention. Do you know that in this song, he says, help me polarize 20 times. He is literally crying out to God, I can't, you can help me. I can't change, you can help me change, help me, help me, help me. He's desperate. He's like a broken record. Help me. If you are walking through this Christian life and you feel like you've kind of settled into this easy, comfortable place and your heart's not in it, but the duty is there, like, have you asked God, help me. Help me change. Help me do what I can't do. He is waiting for you to ask him to help. Because what this book calls us to cannot be done by my effort alone or by yours. So don't be discouraged if you are trying and failing. You need the Lord's help. You need to ask, give me. And God is waiting. God says, I am waiting for you to come to me and ask for what you need. 
Think about this as we continue, but what do you need from God today? What do you need to have a life that's transformed? What do you need to change your ways? Think about that. We're gonna ask for it in just a minute. Help me change. Help me put my faith into action. Help me, God. I know I can't do this alone. Back to Isaiah chapter five. So God has just said, here is everything that you could possibly need in the Christian life. I'm gonna give you the rich and fertile hill. I'm gonna give you this list of things that you can do to be strong, to be free, to be bold, to be confident, to be different. And then God says, but the fruit that grew was bitter. Then he goes on, now, you people of Jerusalem and Judah, you judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard that I have not already done? When I expected sweet grapes, why did my vineyard give me bitter grapes? Well, we've already established that. It's because they're, they were going through the motions, but their heart wasn't in it. And if that's you, heed this warning. He is saying this warning as a good father, like warning his kids. It's like me saying to Wyatt, if you wipe that booger on me, if you pull your sister's hair, if you lie to me, I will hurt you. I will spank you. You will go to your room. So don't do that. That's the heart behind this. God's not threatening you. He's warning us. Let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard, to my child that's only going through the motions and hasn't given me their heart. I will tear down its hedges, its protection, and I will let it be destroyed by this monster enemy that is lurking and hunting you that you don't even know how much God protects you behind the scenes. He is saying, give me your heart or I'm gonna let him have you so that you realize this is real. I will tear down its hedges. I will let it be destroyed. I will break down its walls and let the animals, the wild things, trample it. I will make it a wild place where the vines are not pruned. The ground is not hoed, a place overgrown with briars and thorns. I will command the clouds to drop no more rain on it. The nation of Israel, my church, is the vineyard of the Lord of heaven's armies. The people of Judah, my church, are the pleasant garden. I expected a crop of peace. Instead, I found oppression. I expected to find righteousness. Instead, I found violence. You guys, we take God's blessings and we use them to just put ourselves on a pedestal. We take God's blessings and we use them to start looking at all the people around us saying, well, that guy's messed up. Well, she's messed up. Well, he's messed up. Thank God I'm not like that sinner over there. That's what Isaiah's people were doing and we wrestle with the same thing. And so what does God do with his children that aren't all in, that don't, that's what he's after more than anything. He, does, he loves when you act on his behalf, but he's looking for your heart. And what happens if we don't, if we refuse to give God our heart? He said it right there. He will remove protection from you so that maybe the devil will get your attention enough for you to run back to God and say, God, thank, I'm okay, now I know. He won't remove the protection to be mean. He'll do it for your good. But man, why do you want to learn the hard way? What will he do if we don't give him our whole heart? 
He will remove his hand of blessing. He will allow the rain to stop falling down. You guys, we don't even know how blessed we are. We don't even know how to appreciate how good God is and how much he loves us. Our country is just throwing our rights and our freedoms away. We have no idea how blessed we are. And why will he do those things? Because he expects fruit. We're his vines. We're his children. He expects that we will share him, that we will love him, that we will tell other people about him. But instead, we give him the fruit of pride, selfishness, judging other people, gossiping about other people, sinning because, well, I'm saved, so I can do whatever. He'll forgive me. I can do whatever. Like a good parent, God is warning us what awaits those who refuse to change. He's got this like staccato, one after another, warning system set up in this passage. He says, what sorrow awaits if you don't give me your whole heart? You guys, that sorrow doesn't have to be real. That sorrow doesn't have to come into play. But he's saying it's going to be sad for you. It's going to be sad what sorrow awaits for you who buy up house after house and field after field until everyone is evicted and you live alone in the land. What is that saying to me and you today? It's saying this. If we receive God's blessings and we use God's blessings just for ourselves, just to take care of me, God is saying you're going to become consumed by pride and by greed. And you may end up with a lot of stuff at the end of your life, but you're not going to be happy. In fact, you're going to be all alone. You guys know that's true. You know that's true without even having ever heard the gospel. Look at people who pursue stuff over other people, who pursue things instead of love. Look at them, not just at the end of their life, although certainly there, but in the middle. Are they, are they happy? Is that working out for them? No. They're miserable they're alone. And the more stuff they get, it's like all they can think about is who's going to try and take my stuff. What sorrow awaits for those who drag their sins behind them with ropes made of lies, who drag wickedness behind them like an old heavy cart. If we use, if we receive God's blessings and only use them to take care of ourselves, to treat ourselves, God is warning us because we're his kids and he loves us and he desires better for us. He's warning us. Um, you will become consumed with guilt and shame. You will not be able to not look over your shoulder with regret, not fear that the thing you did yesterday will conquer you tomorrow. Who is in this room today? that you can't make it through, you will not make it through this day. Maybe you haven't already made it through this day without thinking about, man, that thing I did. Man, that, that, that act I, I took, that, that friendship I broke, that, that regret I have. Don't we, don't we all have those regrets? And I love the visual. Who drag these regrets behind them with ropes made of lies. Jesus sets us free and if you have been set free, if you have ever placed your, your faith in Jesus with a simple prayer of, God, I need a savior. I, I know I can't conquer this life on my own. I can't make it alone. I need help. If you have prayed that, that rope has been cut. And the enemy is lying to you that it's still there. You're dragging something around. It's not even there. But why do we think it's still there? Because we haven't given Jesus our all. 
So even though this rope is a shadow, we think it's 100% unbreakable. But it's, it's already broken. If you're dragging something around behind you from your past, you need to ask for help before you leave this room. And the help you need to ask for is, Jesus, open my eyes. Help me understand my freedom. Fill me with so much of your love that I don't have room for shame or guilt or doubt. What sorrow awaits for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet, that sweet is bitter? What sorrow for those who are wise in their own eyes and think themselves so clever? What sorrow for those who are heroes at drinking wine and who boast about all the alcohol they can hold? What is God saying to us? He's saying, if you receive all the good that I've been giving you, if you receive those things and then use those things, the freedom I gave you, the strength of character I gave you, the moment of just absolute joy I gave you when you worshiped me wholeheartedly last month, if you take that, but then you just use that to make yourself feel good, to, to bless yourself, um, sooner or later, and it's going to be sooner, you're going to become consumed with just like foolishness. You're going to lose the ability to tell right from wrong. When we come to the church or just, just our knees or small groups and we confess our sin and God gives us that moment of like, oh, like, thank you, Jesus, I'm free. I feel so much better. But we go right back to that sin the next day. We go right back to it in a month when temptation is too much because we ask for freedom but not the strength to stay free. When we just go right back into what he set us free from, we start to lose our understanding of what's right and wrong. Well, he set me free last time, he'll do it again. You know, it's not that bad. I got set free, so whatever. We lose our ability to know right from wrong, um, to tell the difference between this is what God wants for me and this is not. Being consumed, your mind just filled with thoughts of pride, greed, envy, jealousy, selfishness, inadequacy, Regret, shame, doubt, that is not who God created any one of you to be. And yet I just know in my heart as I was listening to those words that you guys were like, oh, oh, oh. that is not who you are, you guys. You don't have to walk out of here feeling that way. All right, that's it. That's my last sermon on the Vineyard Initiative. It, it's really a simple point that I want you to walk away with today. We'll reduce it to its base. The first step in the Vineyard Initiative of being a disciple of Jesus is acknowledging God is a giver. And if we're his children, that makes us what? Receivers. God's a giver. We're receivers. He's got something to give to you today, but he is waiting for you to ask. If I just walk up and just give Charlotte gift after gift after gift after gift and never let her ask for it or never let her wait for it sometimes or never let her enjoy knowing she worked for it, how will she end up? Spoiled little brat. True. Fact. But if she comes to me and she asks me, Dad, may I please have this? Is there any way that I'm going to be able to say no? She asks again and again and again. Is there any way I'll be able to resist like just blessing her with this thing? God has something for everyone in this room today and he is waiting for you with your heart, not your head, to ask, 
please set me free from this sin. Please embolden my faith. Please give me the right words to talk to whoever about whatever. So we're gonna stop right now and we're gonna have a moment and I challenge you, do not let this moment slip by. First service, those junior hires, they were asking and you could see in the room as they were just receiving. Answered prayers happen in this room. He wants to answer them again now. Why don't you guys bow your heads? With two prayer requests, we'll start with the first one. Maybe you don't know what you need this morning. Even that, you can ask. Ask God. I I guess I know what I want, God, but what do you want to give to me today? You ask him that in your spirit. You ask him that like desperately and listen with your heart, your imagination. What's he showing you? What's he saying to you? Lord, what do you want to give me today? Listen. Ask him this one too. I think God wants to rewrite your understanding of how he sees you this morning. Ask God right now, Lord, how do you see me? What do you see when you look at me? And I will tell you as you ask that question, student, he is only going to answer you with a positive word, a challenging, encouraging, good word. So if you're hearing something negative, tell God to shut the enemy's mouth for you right now. God, how do you see me? Last one, if you know that you have something in your heart that you desire, that is good, that, that is something that would bless you and that you could use in turn to bless the Lord somehow, if you have something that you need, ask God specifically for that now. And I hope it's big. I hope it's bold and audacious. Ask God, I need this from you today. Jesus, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you that you say that when we pray with our whole hearts that you not only hear, but you respond. And so we pray, open our eyes, open our ears, open our understanding to how you are going to answer these prayers and give us the encouragement, give us the faith that your answer might be a week or a month in coming. So help us remember, I asked for this today and I'm gonna keep asking until you answer me because you say, keep knocking, keep asking, Keep seeking. You will find. You will hear. The door will open. Thank you for hearing these prayers. Thank you that messengers are already on their way. Answers have already been heard in this room. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys, that's, that's it. That's our series. But I want to close with an encouraging word. This is my fourth time to teach this series. Four years, four teachings, four vineyard initiatives. I have never been more encouraged after teaching this series than I am with you in this room this year. I have watched you embrace your identities, embrace your purpose, and put your faith in action 
like I've never seen before in any of the student ministries that have come before you. I think God is just pouring out blessings, and I am encouraged to see the way that you're receiving them. I know that was a tough message with some strong warnings, but I want to encourage you. You are doing well. You are doing great, and God is pouring out favor upon you and this ministry. And if you are not convinced of that, I don't think you need to look any further than the simple example of the Proclaimers initiative that we've had this last month. If you're new here, and I know some of you are, for the last month, every Sunday, we've asked that students would consider and pray and then bring tithes and offerings to purchase these little devices called Proclaimers. Because of some stuff that's happened in the big church's missional life department, um, not them alone, obviously, but we have uh, understanding that 250,000 people have given their hearts to Jesus in Malawi in the last three months. That means there's a thousand villages, about two, three hundred people apiece, that have given their whole hearts to Jesus. And now they want to grow in their relationship with Christ, just as we do, but they have a problem. Most of them cannot read, and even if they could, they do not have the Bible in their language. So we've been raising money to purchase these little proclaimers so that we can buy them ship them to them, and they can have the gospel in their hands. These little solar-powered boxes that's the New Testament in their language. You provide one of those little guys to a village, you have just provided the gospel to 200 people. So I felt like God put it on my heart that we were supposed to lead the way in raising money for these proclaimers. Big Church is going to be doing something similar in the weeks or months to come, but I just felt like God said, start with students. Ask them to raise money first. And when he did, I said, in my heart, I think God's going to do something through their giving that's going to be so amazing that it's going to encourage the people in big church that when they hear about it, they're like, man, if the students can do it, I can do it. That's been my prayer this month. Not to mention the fact that hundreds and thousands of people are hearing the gospel as a result of you giving. So I'll give you a little update on where we're at. Um, as of last Sunday, but not including last Sunday, and this isn't like your parents' money. This isn't other people giving, like your money, you guys have raised $5,725, enabling us to purchase 72 proclaimers, which means that you guys have provided the gospel to 14,400 people that have never heard it before. Praise God for what you've done. I have been so encouraged as I have collected this money and counted it at the end of the services. Some of this has been entire piggy banks. It's like, here's my piggy bank, and you know, you count it, which is fine, but like, that's awesome. Some of you guys have written notes to me, and like, this is my whole paycheck for October, and I just, I got a car payment, or I got, I want you to have it for this thing. I feel like this is what God wants. Some of you guys have. Um, cashed in bonds from grandparents that were for your college. Um, I have been so encouraged how you put your faith in action. And you've taken something that very easily could have been for your benefit and said, here, that's what God has been looking for. That's what God can use to bless. There are so many stories of how you guys have given in like amazing ways. I don't have time to tell all of them, but I do want to tell one. Um, it's not any more special than any of the others. It's just a great demonstration that's not just for this student. It's for all of you to be encouraged by. This is the kind of change 
polarization in thought and identity that God is looking for, that you guys are so faithfully demonstrating. So last Sunday was our last day to collect, and we showed up here, and back on the sound booth was a mason jar full of change and dollar bills, fives and tens and twenties, just packed to the gills. I don't think you could have put one more penny in this mason jar just full of money, and with it was an unsigned letter, and I don't know who wrote this, and frankly, I don't want to. I like that it's anonymous. That way I can just pretend it was all of you. But I want to read you what this person wrote. My whole life, I have always been good with money and managing it and saving it. However, my ability to be good at saving and investing money has made me greedy. And man, I can relate to that. When I first discovered my ability with a camera, I got so proud of my ability to take great pictures, forgetting God gave me that. And God gave this student the ability to save that money. God has given you abilities to do amazing things and talents to do amazing things. And you have started to realize, and this student realized, man, I better make sure God's first in this. My whole life, I've always been good with money and managing and saving it. And however, my ability to be good at saving and investing money has made me greedy. There's conviction right there. Recently, God gave me a dream that will bring him a ton of glory and I could possibly become very rich in the process. So I think it would be a great blessing to be able to give one day thousands of dollars. But I realize that if I don't break my greed now, then no matter how much I have, I will never be happy. This student just realized of their own accord the truth of the scripture we read just moments ago. It's not about stuff that will never make you happy. You will be alone if you invest in things and stuff instead of people and Jesus. And this one, he gets it. She gets it. You're starting to get it. You're understanding it. And so, the funny part about this all is that the jar that I've been saving my money in is the same jar that I got from Freedom Weekend a few years ago. So I guess you can say that I'm repurposing myself and my dreams. I hope this small amount will bring glory to God and much happiness to many people. This student was so convicted by Jesus that this very good thing that they were going through the motions doing could serve a higher purpose and so gave all of it. Every nickel that they had saved for however long it's been since freedom, I think two years. That's awesome. And I, again, I share that story, not to just celebrate that one, but so many of you have given so selflessly, and not just in cash. You've given in your prayers. You've given in sacrificing time. You've given by starting to read your Bible. You guys, as your pastor, I could not be more proud of how you put your faith in action these last couple months. That's what change looks like. That's what repentance looks like. That's what God uses and needs from you because he wants to do a work in your generation and quite possibly through you that requires nothing less than that kind of change. Dwight, you guys can head on up to the stage. So, as of last Sunday, $5,725, 72 proclaimers, 14,000, 400 people hearing the gospel as a result of your faith. You guys, last Sunday, you gave an additional $2,000, which was $2,000 that was more than any other solo Sunday before it. So you gave more last Sunday than any of the other days. 
totaling $8,000 that you raised. But here's the deal. You guys gave in faith. You gave $8,000. And do you know that God multiplied what you gave? You gave $8,000, but at the end of Sunday, as a result of God multiplying what you gave and inspiring others who wanted to give through what you gave, do you want to know how much money you raised for Proclaimers? $26,000. Enough to buy 326 Proclaimers, enabling 65,200 people to hear the gospel. You should totally clap. That is how God works. We give what we can from our hearts, and he multiplies it. Students, that's just cash. That's just paper in your pocket. What will God do for you if you decide today to give him your faith afresh? How will he multiply it? What will God do for you if you give him forgiveness for someone that you've been holding on to anger? He will multiply it. What will he do if you give him your sin? This morning, how much will he multiply grace and freedom and joy and peace and no more looking over your shoulder? I want to close us in a word of prayer. I wrote this prayer um, yesterday and I just, it was like I couldn't stop writing. I felt like God was speaking directly to me for you. So as I read this in prayer over you, I want you to use your faith, but I think these are God's words for you, not mine. And I want you to receive them. Let's prepare our hearts now. Bow your heads. Jesus, let these words transform our hearts. Let us walk out of here knowing that what, what you're about to say to us, this is who we are. This is how you see us and not the way we were when we came in. Listen with your hearts, you guys. Anticipate receiving something beyond yourselves right now through what God wants to say. Students, you have done something remarkable together this month. You've done something greater than yourselves. You've done something holy and blessed that will affect a country that will transform an entire nation. I am proud of you. I am your God. I am pleased with you. I am honored to be your Lord. You have taken a seed of faith. You have nurtured it. You have given yourselves for it. And the ripple effect is being felt around the world. I want you to understand how powerful you are. I want you to recognize how mighty you can be. I want you to acknowledge that I will multiply whatever you give me if you give it with a pure heart. You are not just my kids. You are my conquerors. 
You are my dearly loved kings and queens. And this is just the beginning. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests and priestesses, a holy nation, my very own special possession. Once you had no identity as a people. Now you are my people. Once you received no mercy. Now you have received my mercy. I gave you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. I commanded you to love the Lord your God, to keep my commands, to keep my decrees and regulations by walking in my ways. And students, you have chosen well. You have chosen wisely. Keep choosing me and you will live and you will multiply and you may expect my blessings upon you. Jesus, we want to be close to you. We want so much more of you. We want to see the impossible happen, not just in our generation, but in our backyard. So we say, come Holy Spirit. We are asking, come and do what only you can do. We are counting on it. We are depending upon it. And we believe it because you are good. You are a giver. And we want to receive more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys respond as you feel led. Chosen wisely. Keep choosing me. And you will live. And you will multiply. And you may expect my blessings upon you. Jesus, we want to be close to you. We want so much more of you. We want to see the impossible happen, not just in our generation, but in our backyard. So we say, come Holy Spirit. We are asking, come and do what only you can do. We are counting on it. We are depending upon it. And we believe it because you are good. You are a giver. And we want to receive more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys respond.